an officer to Stonewall Jackson complained that there was unnecessary noise coming from the camp. Jackson asked him what it was, and he said, well, they are praying now, but they were singing. And he said, is that a crime? And he replied, the articles of war call for punishment for any unusual noise in the camp. And Stonewall Jackson replied, God forbid that prayer should ever be an unusual noise in this camp. Well, certainly that ought to be said of the church, that prayer should never be an unusual noise within the body of believers. You see, the church was born in prayer. Jesus had ascended into heaven, and after his ascension, 120 believers gathered in the upper room to pray. And after they had spent that time in prayer, Pentecost followed, and out of Pentecost came the birth of the church. So the church then was born out of prayer. It has been sustained throughout its history in prayer. Occasionally I come across someone, usually someone who is older or infirmed, and they apologize by saying, well, I'm not able to do what I once did in the church. All I can do now is pray. And I usually reply, there is nothing we need more in the church than your prayers. So I want us to look today at what happens when the church prays. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And I want you to look up in verse number 14, because this is speaking of that gathering in the upper room. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now then, look down at chapter 2, verse number 1, and we see what follows. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. I want you to see several things with me today that happens when the church prays. And first of all, the Bible says when the church prays, they are filled with the Spirit. Look at chapter 2, verse number 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, ladies and gentlemen, every believer possesses the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells you. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, Paul wrote, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, I know that there are those people who say, well, we are saved at one time, and then later we receive the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says if you do not have the Holy Spirit, then you are not His. And so the Scripture then says that every believer is indwelt with the Spirit, that the Spirit empowers us in chapter 1, verse number 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If we are going to have the power we need to live a godly Christian life, then we must have the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So the Bible says then that the Holy Spirit indwells all believers, that He empowers us, and that He guides us. Jesus said in John 16, 13, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. So all believers then possess the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that He indwells us. He empowers us. He guides us. But to be filled with the Spirit means that the Spirit possesses you. All believers possess the Spirit. To be Spirit-filled means that He possesses you. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means that one is controlled by the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means that I come under the control of the Spirit. Now, Paul said there in Ephesians that we are to be filled with the Spirit. That is in the imperative mood, which means it is commanded. It is in the second person plural which means it is for all believers. It is in the passive voice, which means it is something that is done by God. And it is present tense, which means that it is continuous action. In fact, the literal translation is this, be being filled with the Spirit. I've had people ask me, do you believe in the second blessing? I say, I believe in the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and, and a hundred of them. Because that's what that means, be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled again and again. We come under the control of the Holy Spirit. So when the church prays then, the church is filled with the Spirit. And then look at chapter 2, verse number 44. Something else that happens. Chapter 2, verse 44. And all those who had believed were together, and they had all things in common. When the church prays, there is a sense of unity. Now, you know and I know not everything unites us. There are some things in the church that divides us. And I suppose that throughout history, the, the one thing that has divided the church as much as anything has to be music. I never understood that, but that's true. In fact, if you study the history of the church... When the organ was brought into the church, it split the church. When the piano came in later, it split the church. When they started using hymnals, it split the church. When we started singing choruses, it split the church. Now, folks, that's always been true. I've never understood it. Because I thought that music was supposed to be praise to the Lord. I thought it was, it was supposed to be a, an expression of worship. But it has always divided us. Something else that divides the church is doctrine. And that was true within the Corinthian church. They were divided over doctrine, especially the doctrine of spiritual gifts. And so sometimes it is doctrine that divides us, but prayer unites us. Why? Because you cannot go to the throne of God and spend time with Him and come out with a divided spirit. Now, I'm not saying that we're all going to agree on everything. For heaven's sake, there's a lot of you wrong about some stuff. That's why I'm up here preaching. But when we spend time with the Father, there is a sense of unity that comes about within the body. 
scriptural prayer is a uniter. So they were united in prayer, and then they were united in patrimony. In other words, they were united because they shared a common heritage. Now, we know that is true with our biological father. We are united as children, as siblings, because we share a biological father and mother. Uh, my, I have a daughter, Stephanie, and a son, Eric. Now, they are different in a lot of ways. But at the same time, they are united. There is a sense of unity. There is a sense of oneness because they share a common heritage. Well, it is no less true spiritually. If we share a common heritage as children of God, then we are brothers and sisters. Is that correct? I have some uh, spiritual brothers and sisters who are charismatic in their theology. Now, we might not agree concerning their interpretation of Scripture, but they're still my brothers and sisters. I I have some brothers and sisters who are liturgical in their worship. Now, we might not agree in our expression of worship, but they're still my brothers and sisters. I have some brothers and sisters who are traditionalists. And they want the same thing done the same way every Sunday at the same time. Now, I might not like that, but they're still my brothers and sisters. You see, if we know the Lord, then we share a common heritage if God is our Father. We share the same Father as believers, and therefore we share the same family. S.M. Lockridge was a wonderful black preacher from uh, San Diego. Anytime he came around, I always loved to go and hear S.M. preach because he was just marvelous. But I remember one time him preaching, and he said, If God is your father and God is my father, we're brothers and sisters whether you like it or not. We're family. If we know the Lord, if God is our father, then we are family. And some of you might say, Well, you know, I identify more with my brother Simon Peter, old Peter Popoff. I'm, he never, I don't think he ever prayed or ever thought a whole lot before he said something. And some of you said, well, you know, I'm a lot like that. Well, that's fine. Because he loved Jesus. Simon Peter was dedicated to the Lord. Did he stick his foot in his mouth? He's worse than Jay. I mean, he was always doing that, but boy, he loved Jesus. And so if you want to be like Simon Peter, that's fine. Love Jesus. Some of you might say, well, I'm more like David, my brother David. David committed adultery. He was a great sinner. And you say, well, I'm more like him because I'm not perfect. Well, that's fine because he was a great repenter too. You see, David sinned, but when his sin was pointed out, he went to the Father repenting of his sin. Boy, bringing it to the Lord. You can read it in Psalm chapter 51. So, as I look, And what happens when we pray? They were united in prayer. They were united in patrimony. They were united in place. Look at chapter 2, verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. It's my belief that every Sunday should be family reunion. You know, we all get together as a family. I, I, that's the reason I love to see you talking to each other. And I, Steve, I, I, I was blessed a while ago when people were getting around each other and praying. That's family. And I see every, every Sunday as being family reunion when the family of God comes together. And yet, we all know that there are people who come to church and then they stop attending, right? I did. 
I was brought up in the church when I got to be about 13 years old. I, I, was, uh, I stopped going. I didn't go again until I was married and had children. Why is that? Why do some people get out of church? Well, some people become discontent. You know, they, they don't like the way things are done, or they don't like someone in the church, or someone hurt their feelings, someone offended them. And sometimes, don't tell anybody this, but sometimes people leave because they don't like the pastor. I heard about a pastor. He was pastoring a church. Tough church. And uh, the people wanted him to leave. And so after a while, one Sunday, he got up and uh, he said, you know, a couple of years ago, the Lord led me here. And now the Lord is leading me away. And the people all stood and began to sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. Sometimes people leave the church because they become discontent with something. And, and there are some who, who see it as being irrelevant. It, it saddens me, really, and maybe, you can, maybe some of you can help me with this, but I know that there are a lot of, of children who grow up in the church and they go through the youth group and they go into college and when they get out of college, they don't come back to church because they don't consider it to be relevant anymore. That it's not really addressing the issues of life. Or the church is in a position that, that I don't identify with. And so there are some who get out of the church because they consider it to be irrelevant. Some because they're simply backslidden because of sin in their life. You know, I, I hear people uh, sometimes say, well, don't go down to the church. They'll get you on a guilt trip. And I've told you about that. Church doesn't get you on a guilt trip. Folks, the reason you get on a guilt trip is because you're guilty. It's not the church. And so there are some who don't want to be reminded of their sin. And the fact is, there are some people who come to church and they leave the church because they've never been saved. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. The truth is, there are some people who leave the church, they don't attend church because they've never been saved and they don't enjoy it. I understand that. Why in the world would you enjoy church, coming up here and spending an hour if you didn't know the Lord? Singing praises to someone you don't know? Listening to His Word? What I don't understand is that some people don't go to church, they don't like to study the Bible, they don't like to sing, they don't like to do any of those things, and then they think they're going to go to heaven. My my friend, if you don't enjoy church, heaven would be hell for you. But why do you think you would enjoy it there? Because we're going to be praising the Lord when we get there. But there are some who get out of the church because they never come to know the Lord. I think it's important that we come together because it is identification. You see, when we come together, when we are united corporately, we are together identifying as the people of God. So it's identification, it's encouragement. When we are together, it's an encouragement to others. Do you think that Steve Phillips is encouraged when he looks up and, and, and the choir is full? Do you think he is discouraged when y'all are not up there? I hate to see him whenever the attendance is down in the choir. He fusses and fumes and gri I mean, from the time I see him back there, he's grabbing. I think, oh, Lord, where did they go today? So even if you don't want to get up there, just get up there because I don't like to hear it. No, it's encouraging. 
Whenever we come together, and not only are we encouraged, but we are also strengthened because we are stronger together than we are separate. And then when the church prays, are united in purpose. I look at this passage of Scripture in chapter 2, verse number 42. They, they learned together, the Bible says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They came together to study the Word of God. They prayed together, verse number 42, out to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They praised together in uh, chapter 2, verse number 47, praising God. They fellowshiped together, it says in verse number 42. Chuck Colson wrote in his book, The Body, Surveys show that the number one thing people look for in a church is fellowship. But what most modern Westerners seek is a far cry from what the Bible describes. Literally, it means a communion, a participation of people together in God's grace. That's what fellowship is. We are partners in God's grace. We share the grace. None of us has arrived. None of us is perfect. And we are partners with the grace of God. We are benefactors of God's grace. And then evangelism in chapter 2, verse number 47b. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Folks, the Lord adds to the church that prays. And people want to be a part of a church that prays because of the fellowship and the purpose of that church. There's unity. When the church prays, there is unity. Folks, when there is division in the church, you can count on it that people are not praying. Prayer brings about unity. And then there's gladness in chapter 2, verse number 46. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. When a church prays, there is gladness within that body. There's always celebration within a praying church. I look at the New Testament church, and there was a sense of excitement. There was a sense of expectancy. There was a sense of celebration. They celebrated because of the Lordship of Jesus. That's what I love about First Baptist. One of the things I love about First Baptist, and I love this church. I love the celebration of it, that we come together. Folks, we're not... We're not in a funeral dirge. We're in a wedding march. We're marching to the... I've been to some churches, and my goodness, you were so depressed when you left. You know, you have to take your medication, take your meds when you leave just to get up and not to go to work. Now, I understand, but the gospel is good news. That's what the word means. It is good news. And so there is celebration within the family of God that prays together. There's celebration and joy. A praying church is a joyful church. Billy Graham said Christianity was never meant to be something to make people miserable, but rather to make them happy. You see, when we pray together, we come together as the people of God. There is joy. Now, what brings joy? And it might surprise you according to Scripture. What brings abiding joy within the heart of the Christian? Well, first of all, obedience to Christ. You see, obedience to a proper authority is a sign of maturity, and that brings joy. The Scripture says, or Jesus said, if you knew these things, you were happy if you do them. If you know these things, you are happy if you do them. 
Are you not joyful when you know you're doing what God led you to do? This means yes. I am. When I know I'm doing what God has called me to do, then there's a sense of joy in my heart. That doesn't mean everything turns out the way that I want it to, but there is joy because I know that I am being obedient to the Lord. Something else that brings joy is when we suffer for Christ. I know that's strange. But the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.14, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. If you suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. 1 Peter 4.14, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And I find a great deal of joy within those early believers, even though they suffered for Christ. John was taken from a church he loved in Ephesus in exile to Patmos. But he had great joy, even though he suffered for Christ. The Apostle Paul suffered for Christ, and yet there was great joy because he found happiness and joy in him. There's celebration. There's joy. And there's contentment. He says in verse number 46, there's sincerity of heart in prayer. We have contentment. You see, ladies and gentlemen, contentment is in Jesus. And if you're looking for contentment somewhere apart from Christ, you'll never find it. If you're looking for contentment in everything going the way you want it to go, then you'll never truly be content because it's circumstantial rather than relational. Contentment is in Christ. And then another thing I noticed when the church prays, there's confidence. Look over at chapter 4, verse number 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. When the church prays, there is confidence. Now, the disciples had no reason for confidence. They had no reason to be confident. The Bible says that they were uneducated. That doesn't mean that they were ignorant. That does not mean that that, uh, they were ignorant at all. It simply means that they had not been formally trained in rabbinical schools. They were uneducated. They were untrained. That means that they had not gone to any seminars learning how to be a disciple. And yet they had great confidence. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. Can't you always tell when someone has been with Jesus? I mean, they have confidence, not arrogance, but they have confidence because they've been with Jesus. You see, when you spend time with Jesus, and this is what the disciples learn, if you please Him, it doesn't make any difference who you displease. And if you displease Him, it doesn't matter who you please. So they had confidence. The Bible says that they marvel at the confidence they had, but they noticed that they had been with Jesus. And then when we pray, there is companionship. There was companionship with Jesus. And I was thinking while we were singing up here earlier today about our companionship with Christ. You know, the Bible says that He is our Savior. If we have committed our life to Him, He is our Savior. The Bible says that He is our friend, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Bible says that He is my brother. The Bible says that we are joint heirs with Him. And so as the people of God, we have companionship with God. 
He is my Savior. He is my Father. He is my brother. He is a joint heir with me. I am a joint heir with him. And so there is that companionship. But we also have companionship with each other. If you are a believer, we have companionship with each other because why? We share the same Father. God is my Father. God is your Father if you're, if you're a believer. We share the same Father. We share the same Spirit. The Bible says that if I am a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells me. He indwells you. We share the same salvation because God has provided it. I was reading a story that fascinated me. Some of you have probably been to California and you've seen the redwood trees there. The, these enormous, oldest living things in our country. They are enormous. The thing that surprised me when I, was, I read this story about them is that the roots don't go down real deep from the redwood trees. I mean, you have these enormous trees, but the roots don't go down deep. You know what they do? The roots intertwine with the roots of the other trees. And as a result of that intertwining, the trees are strong and they stand because they're intertwined with the other trees. Isn't that a great picture of a Christian, a body, a church? We are stronger because we intertwine with each other. And as we come together in prayer, intertwining with each other, praying for each other, then we're stronger. What happens in a praying church? They're filled with the Holy Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, guided by the Spirit of God. A praying church is Spirit-filled. A praying church is united in Christ. We're united in Him. We might not agree on the kind of music we like. We might not agree on all the doctrines of Scripture. But we are united in Christ. And there is gladness. When a church prays, there is gladness because you can't spend time with the Lord without having a joyful heart. And there is confidence. A praying church is a confident church. A praying person is a confident person because they've been with Jesus, and then there's companionship. We're companions with Christ. We're companions with each other. That's the reason it's important that we be a praying church. Our Father in God, we thank you so much for the privilege and the invitation to come boldly before your throne to make our petitions known. Lord, I pray that we might be praying people. Lord, that we might have such a hunger in our hearts for you, for fellowship with you, that it's the most natural thing in the world for us to pray. Lord, that we believe that we can take our needs to you, our burdens to you, and that you hear and you're concerned. And Lord, today we would pray at this invitation time for those who have never come to know you. Father, that they might be drawn by the Holy Spirit to you today to be saved. I pray, Father, for those who are looking for a church home, that they would feel welcome here. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in just a moment we're going to stand and the choir's going to sing. We extend an invitation. The staff is here at the front. Will you come today to trust Jesus? To join the church, whatever the Lord's speaking to your heart about, 
you come today. Let's stand together as we stand and they sing. You come. I greet you as you do.